A thank you to our sponsors, the For Us, By Us Fund, which supports Black, Brown, Indigenous, and people of color living their best life in Maine. Thank you to our sponsor, Rising Tide Brewing. They take time and pride in giving back to the greater Portland community. In the Pocket, a talk show that showcases Mainers, who are people of color. Each episode represents a member of the Maine community from art, culture, and business, the earth, wind, and fire of life. Embracing and exploring the Black diaspora and descendants of American slavery through conversation is the foundational concept of In the Pocket. The overall mission of In the Pocket is to create conversational space for all people of color that is documented and celebrated through sharing of life experiences. If you like what you're hearing and want to hear it again, or want to check out our archive of past shows, look for us at inthepocket.captivate.fm or search In The Pocket on iTunes or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at In The Pocket and give us a follow so you never miss a show. Thank you for tuning in to In The Pocket. I'm your host, Flo Edwards, and our guest today is Kevin Lonely. He is one of many, but probably the most important, uh, assistant um, athletic director. Please, Kevin, introduce yourself. How's everyone doing? Uh, my name is Kevin Lumney. Thanks, Flo. Good to see you again. Um, I am an assistant athletic director at Bowdoin College up in Brunswick, Maine. Um, I've been at Bowdoin now for about six years. Uh, I've been here uh, as an assistant football coach um, for my first five years at the college. And then um, June 1st, I took over as an assistant athletic director. Um, Basically, my role in our athletic administration is I oversee all of our athletic facilities for our 31 varsity sport teams. Um, and then when they, thankfully, this, this fall get back to actually playing, um, playing in, the, in the, the, what's the New England Small College Athletic Conference, or the NESCAC for short, which is basically the, one of the premier athletic conferences in Division Three in the NCAA. Um, I will oversee and make sure that all their games run smoothly, um, hire all the officials, all that, all that kind of stuff. So, uh, we also do a lot of work with, our, with the community. Um, so when community groups want to come in and use our facilities, they usually have to contact me to do that as well. So we do a lot of work with like Special Olympics um, and number of groups as well. And what kind of groups? Um, we have groups like, um, like a lot of the youth hockey groups in the Midcoast that are looking for ride time, um, they usually will contact us. Uh, we've got some groups who come in for swimming, um, a couple of local high schools. Um, they may not have certain facilities. They'll, they'll usually contact us by renting our facilities. Um, so we have some of the premier facilities in the Northeast athletically. And so we're able to, we're thankfully able, been able to have a really good um, relationship with our local community. and. So we actually were able to host a couple of uh, graduations for social distancing purposes uh, in, back in May uh, for a couple of the local high schools. Um, we've been able to host um, track meet, indoor track meets. We have an indoor track, um, swim meets, and all that kind of stuff. So people who want to do that stuff, we're going to usually we'll have to contact now. So now to contact me to do that. Um, and if we can, if we can accommodate, we will. 
Um, but uh, sometimes, you know, sometimes we can't just because we're going to so much facilities to go around, unfortunately. So being that we had, you know, the pandemic and a lot of athletes weren't able to, especially college athletes, weren't able to participate in their sport, um, what were, what did you do in 2020? Yeah, it was really challenging, I think, for for the kids at Bowdoin. So, um, you know, for folks who maybe aren't familiar with Bowdoin, academically one of the top three or four schools in the country. Um, you know, and but at the same time, about a third of our student body are varsity athletes, and they take their sports really seriously. Um, so uh, they did a great job in terms of being the college. I thought did a great job of being really safe uh, in terms of testing and so on and so forth. Um, and what it allowed us to do, though, was all of our sports were able to practice. Um, be with their teams. The NCAA did a, I thought, um, was really thoughtful in how they approached it um, in terms of trying to do what they could, at least from for the small colleges. Um, and we didn't play very many, not very many contests. Uh, once the spring rolled around and things began to kind of clear up a little bit, um, we were able to play some contests. Um, so we had, right, we probably got to play about 15 to 20 contests in the spring for softball, um, for, I think we got a couple of rugby matches in, uh, but for our, all of our other sports, we were able to kind of like, to practice, be around their teammates, for the kids who were actually on campus, a lot of our, they had a good number of kids go study remotely, um, some students have gap semesters or gap years, um, Bowdoin was really thoughtful about the way that we handled who was actually on campus for our students. So in the fall semester, we only had our first year students on campus. We didn't have any upperclassmen on campus, any returning students on campus. So, um, and then in the spring semester, we didn't have any of our first year students on campus. So for some reason, even the teams that did get to play, they didn't have all their athletes. So if you could have, if you had enough kids and you could play, you know, I know our women, like women's soccer had only a handful of kids. They were able to get a, a scrimmage base a couple of times. That was about it, you know. Um, softball played, only had two of their pitchers on, on campus. So a little bit of a challenge. But some other teams, I know for football, uh, we only had, you know, for a roster of 75 kids, only had 24 kids in the fall, 24 kids in the spring. So they had to practice, but didn't get to play any games, which... I don't know if they would have anyways, just because of it, or just from a travel standpoint, but just in terms of, you know, the social distancing on buses, just that, that whole part of it. I mean, I don't know that it was going to be done and you know, get, to get, get, get accomplished in that short amount of time anyways. So. Yeah. It was, it, it was tough, but I do think for kids who, um, who kind of identify themselves as athletes and as students, that athlete part is a really big part of our identity. Um, and not having that was really challenging for them. Um, but I also think it brought them together a little bit because like, they got to see, you know, they've always heard their entire lives, you know, hey, you may not have your sport at some point. And now it's, it's never gonna happen to me. And then it happened to them, you know? And so they had to kind of, you know, really kind of find a way to 
to navigate that. But to their credit, you know, I, I, they did a great job in the classroom across the board, which is, you know, A, they're both students, what they're going to do anyways. You know, but, you know, like the football program has like a 3.5 GPA. You know, I mean, that's, and so they were able to do a great job in the classroom, you know, um, on top of it. So that's, uh, it's been helping each other out from that standpoint. And I think, you know, we'll, we'll to really address this, like, um, our, our athletes, to their credit, pour a lot of their time into social justice as well. Um, here both, you know, and uh, that was a pretty awesome thing to see. And they really drove the train for our institution to kind of make a lot of wholesale big time changes as a as our as a campus community. What were some of those, uh, or one of those big time changes? Yeah. So, um, so the. The, the athletes basically came up with action plans for all 31 sports um, in terms of creating more inclusive environments um, among all their team, all the teams, um, and really pushed for big changes in athletics in terms of how we operate. Now, I will say that. Bowdoin, as your typical New England liberal arts school, has always tried to be inclusive, but it's a human process, and so sometimes, you know, I think there are wide spots, and we all, and there's no college that isn't going to be like that, but um, to the credit of our athletic administration, especially our athletic director, Tim Ryan, who's from Wells, Maine, um, Tim did a great job of looking to our students, and really, um, you know, really engaged with them, and, and, and what they wanted, and as best we could, we we could advance the bell as best we could. So you know, if, you know, one of the things that happens in, in our conference a lot of times is because we do have a lot of kids sometimes who come from some privilege. We have also have kids who come from absolutely nothing. Um, so one of the things that we're going to do, when we're doing it here, is um, you know, it seems like a little thing, but kids who no longer have to buy their own practice gear. You know, there's some places where you. Usually, in most places that I've been, you buy your practice gear for yourself because it's going to be personalized as your as your number. So, and it's and for practical reason, you do it so that nothing gets stolen. Hey, I'm number 35, therefore I know hey, that's my stuff. Well, that's great if you have the money to do it. And everybody wants everybody wants Nike, everybody wants this, everybody wants that. Well, so what we decided to do is okay, we're just going to buy we're going to buy that for all of our sports. Um, and you don't have to worry about it anymore. So for that kid who, who that, whatever that, that cost is going to be, that's a huge cost for that kid. You don't have to worry about that anymore going forward. Um, and that was the thing that, they, that our students asked for. It's a little thing, but it, it, it adds up. You know, we're talking, we've done a lot in terms of this. We're looking at, you know, if for a school that was founded in 1794, you know, we've got a lot of spaces on our campus that are, you know, that weren't designed for people who look like us. Now that said, you know, we have like the third black man in America to get a college degree went to vote college, Don Russell. At the same time, you know, all of our, a lot of our spaces, you know, are very, very, I mean, they're, they're very, there's a lot of Eurocentric, you know, spaces, which it is what it is at all these schools. So, you know, really being thoughtful about as we make any renovations, how do we do things um, to make sure that we make these spaces more inclusive? 
how do we how do we look at dress codes? How do we look at what we require in terms of hairstyles and so on and so forth? Just little things that people don't think about um, necessarily. But you know, let's let's and then let's make sure we we address that stuff. But also, you know, the the microaggression stuff that that just adds up. Um, our president, to his credit, um, Clayton Rose, is, began, has been since the day he got on campus, he and I got, we got hired basically at the same time, and he's been pushing, you know, education, um, you know, for our for our faculty, our staff, even our students. Um, so we've done a lot of work um, over the way, really in earnest. I mean, we've been doing a lot of work as a campus anyways, but um, obviously, I mean, the elephant in the room is George Floyd. And yeah, that, that spurred a lot of colleges, I think, to, 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 to really ramp it up a notch. And, um, you know, we've, we've made a lot of education on campus, you know, outside of just the classroom. And, our, and people have bought into it and really working on it, which is good. Uh, so faculty, staff, students are going through a lot of work on just, and just creating, trying to create the environment. So people, you know, enjoy being here. Um, one of my things that I say all the time, and the last thing I'll say on this part is, every place in America can spend a lot of money to be quote unquote diverse. You can you can spend a lot of money to bring a lot of people in who look different, but to make sure that they, that, that they feel that they belong there takes a lot of intentionality. And I think we're doing a, a really good job of trying to make sure that we're being intentional. Um, that takes it takes genuine genuine intentionality. We're doing a lot of work on that part of it. I was curious as to, I mean, and that's awesome. Uh, congrats to Bowden for um, not just doing the talk but doing the walk, and it takes time. Sure. So that's really good. Yeah. So. For example, the practice gear, uh, what could that run somebody for whatever sport? Yeah, so um, theoretically, depending on on the year, I mean, there's some places where depending on what in at some schools that I've been or have worked in the past, I mean, depending on what coaches make mandatory, it could be $200 or, or more sometimes. So things add up. Okay, they do add up, and so you're trying to okay. How do we make sure that we do a really good job? And we've had we've had our alumni have done a great job of stepping up. You know, they they chipped in. We've had a lot of parents. I know in the time that I've been here, we've had parents say, "Hey, I'm gonna chip in and make a donation so that you know if there's a maybe a, a student or two who can't afford, they there's there's money for that." But you shouldn't have to do that anyways, right? Theoretically, um, and then. You know, the other part that comes in to play, especially, hey, we do live in Maine. So, in the, in the, in, you know, part of your spring is still going to be the end of winter, and sometimes winter wants to hang on longer than it's supposed to, you know? So, you know, um, tra- traveling sometimes can become an issue in terms of um, spring trips. So, you know, during spring break, um, most baseball teams are going to go, and it's often going to go to Florida or go to California or go to Arizona to play, get some games in, so they can go. You know, so like I know Bates, the, the way the Bates calendar works, they have basically two, almost like two spring breaks. They'll leave, they'll go down and play pretty early on um, in the spring semester down in Florida, 
and then do it again in the second part of spring break. You know, we'll typically, our guys will typically go down and play um, down in Florida and get a bunch of games in. Um, and everywhere I've been, that's kind of been the way, that's the way it's worked. Because um, you're just not going to get any games up here because there's still snow on the ground and you just can't do it. And um, usually most teams will fundraise for that. Even the, the Division One level, um, they're going to fundraise for that a lot of times. So if you, and all right, so if you can fundraise to go on a trip, great. Now what do you do when you're on the trip? So that's, let's say you're on the trip for 10 days. If, if I've got a ton of money for coming from home and, and you don't, now what do you do? There's still that disparity of the haves to have nots. And some people say, well, hey, well, that's tough. You don't have any money. Great. Well, how do you build team and camaraderie when I can, you, I can go out at night and, and go have a good meal and you can't? You know, you really don't get to build any kind of, you know, chemistry and teamwork. That's not, you know, so it's about, you know, and then just puts extra added stress and pressure on a kid that doesn't need it. You know, because it's already at, at a lot of these colleges, and you, you already have the the idea of people trying to fit in because of the status and all that sort of stuff. And it, it doesn't just affect you know kids from BIPOC backgrounds. I mean, it's it's there there are I mean I mean this is Maine. We got a lot of poor white kids here too, right? And so when they go to, when they get to these colleges, it's the exact same thing. So. That's a, that can be an issue. So we want to make sure that, the, that and you never know who is, we never know who is, I mean, we have a huge number of students at Bowdoin getting financial aid. So you never know who is getting financial aid. So, well, how can we make it better so that when those kids are going on and doing all these great things that Bowdoin has to offer, they don't have to worry about status stuff. Can we, can we get that part out of it? So they can just go be the best Bowdoin student they can be. That I mean that take that pressure off them so they can go be the best self. Is when they can do that, I mean they they have the, they, they can do a lot of really good things. Well, that's awesome. Um, and you also had mentioned about making the space being intentional to be inclusive. What are yeah. what's a way for a space to be more inclusive? Yeah, so I, I think, you know, one of the things, I mean, so somebody tried to bring up a bill in the state house about an anti-trans bill in the state house this year. I mean, the minute it came up, um, Bowdoin, Bates, and Colby got together. Now, understand that in athletics, we are huge rivals. There's no love lost. But we got together and filed a brief of being opposed to the bill, um, and and then a lot of our trying to be in, in a lot of our spaces on, in, especially our athletic spaces on campus, you know, it's you know, just gender affirming language, you know, little things like that, you know, just making sure that in all of our athletic spaces, as we put up any kind of signage, that it's not that we're really intentional about like what goes up. The pictures that go up. Um, so we're doing, you know, we're in the process right now in our in our athletic office of doing some renovations. We're going to put a lot of pictures. So there's been a lot of talk about, okay, well, the pictures that you put up, what do they look like? You know, who's being featured? Um, because you know, I mean, let's we know that you're going to have a lot. 
there's only been about there's been less than like forty thousand Bowdoin graduates in the history of the college. I mean, it's, it's a really exclusive place. But let's make sure that we represent all of them, right? Bowdoin's only been co-ed since the early '70s, so let's make sure that we represent all of those Bowdoin graduates. Like, let's make sure that they get to get that they all feel that this is their place and that the students that are here now know that this is their place that they belong here that they see themselves represented in all the places that they they belong especially in the places that have been around been here for really since the 1800s you know since you know whatever because I mean I think it's an easy way sometimes to forget why this place has been here for so long okay yeah well we've got you know the oldest building on campus um, the original college is called Master's Hall. It was built like in 1802. Right? It was 11 men, 11 white men that went over there, lived there, had classes there, ate there. Well, now it's our it's our English department, right? Okay, awesome. Well, what do we do when you do anything? If you do anything in there, what do you do to make sure that people feel that it's their space, right? And so, I mean, there's not much we can do to that space just for other logistical reasons. But as we go to like our, our athletic facilities, what do we make, do to make sure that these spaces, that the kid that walks in there, says, hey, I belong here. This is my, this is my space too, you know? Um, and I think it's just that there's, and there's, there's a way to be intentional about that, I think. And I think it's a matter of just making sure that voices are heard. Um, that students and, and faculty and staff voices are heard on that stuff, that alumni voices are heard, that we do a really good job of talking to alumni from underrepresented backgrounds and get their stories about what they experienced when they were here, um, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, but I mean, it, would you understand that it's mostly, it's mostly good, but they did have something that, you know, that they experienced, but they still love the place. So let's, let's make sure that we can they feel great about their boat that they can that they feel that their experience is, is represented and that the kids that are here now have an even better experience and it's it's, it's i mean from a, from a purely capitalist standpoint it's an investment in the future if your alumni are happy right they get a lot of money back it's all about the endowment. Let's go. <laughs> I mean, let's, be, let's be smart about it. Yeah, well said. Yes. Um, and that's true. You know, people, if they feel included, then they are happy about feeling included and they want other people right. to be happy about it. Um, exactly. exactly. So how did you end up in this field? What was your journey to get here? Yeah. So, um, I, so I grew up in the, in the Northeast, I grew up in New England, in Connecticut, uh, went to college in Pennsylvania, um, wanted to get into education, uh, wanted to teach and coach, um, and then I actually, my first college coaching job was in Vermont, uh, a guy that I played for in college was a head coach at his alma mater, um, and started working with him, I was there for two years, and then went back to Connecticut. Uh, I was coaching at, at, a, at actually a rival college of Bowdoin's, Wesleyan University was there. Uh, I was in Southern Connecticut first for a year and then was at Wesleyan um, for three years um, in my hometown. Uh, and then moved to the Midwest for five years. Uh, spent, spent a year in West, in West Virginia, 
two years in Indiana, two years in Iowa, moved back to the East Coast, um, became a head coach um, at Nichols College in Dudley, Mass. Uh, was spent a year in high school in Connecticut and then came to vote. And throughout all of that, um, got to meet a lot of different people. Um, the person that I came to Bowdoin with is now back in Connecticut as a high school coach. But the people here at Bowdoin are awesome to work with. Uh, the students are phenomenal to work with. And every so it's been great to be a part of that. It's the longest I've worked at any school. Um, uh, so it, it's kind of interesting. I did not ever think, and, I don't think, and a lot of folks say this, that they never think they'd be at that place for this that long, but uh, I truly do love walking into the office every day. Um, even though even the hard days are, are great because the kids, hey, you know, you're working for great kids who are going to do great things, and um, the people that I work with are awesome. You know, I, again, I, 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 I'm sure he's going to hear it at some point, but my boss is amazing um, and is phenomenal to work with because he gets it. Um, and he is truly a person who is down for the cause. Um, and, and then people that, you know, and then again, I can't stop raving about our students, um, here in our, in our conference, um, because they're all, they're, they're different, but they're, they're the same. These kids are going to change the world. These are the kids who, who go out and do amazing things. I mean, one of the best players I, the best player I've ever coached at Bowdoin is a kid from Connecticut, came here, spent over a bunch of Ivy League schools, um, and is now working on Wall Street, basically. And he's going to be back, and he's going to have a chance to come back in August and actually walk like he was supposed to walk because he didn't get to walk into the pandemic. And it's going to be great to see him. He actually brought his girlfriend up um, uh, in, back in, in the fall to meet, meet all the coaches. That was pretty awesome. Yeah, you know, he's just amazing. He just, he's, these guys, these kids are just amazing. Um, and then I get to be around these kids who are going to, like, so they're going to go do these amazing things. I mean, they've done, I mean, kids who are going to med school going to go be judges and, you know, kids who are, kids who are immigrants, kids who are, uh, it's, it's amazing. And um, so that part is a lot of fun. And even even when they have their challenges, helping them navigate those challenges, because you know they're going to go do great things um, if they if they get it right, and then usually they do because they're type A personalities, they're go getters, they're they're perfectionists. So it's usually just helping them get out of their heads a little bit. That's that's kind of a fun thing to do. So, but uh, and then you know I when I got offered the job as as, as an athletic director, I did not expect that to happen. That was a complete surprise. Um, I almost didn't take it. And my dad, who you met a couple of weeks ago, was like, "What are you nuts? <laughs> take the job." So, um, and having him him having been a student in this conference at a rival college, uh, you know, knowing his whole background and you know and my mom too you know um she was still she went to she didn't go to school in the conference but a very similar academic experience it was a kind of a, just a thing where they were like you, you've got to do this so even though it means giving up the thing that you're the most passionate about which is coaching football 
Well, it sounds like you made the right decision for yourself and for yeah. your students and for Bowdoin. Um, so Kevin, yeah. thank you so much for sharing and Absolutely. educating in the pocket and our audience yeah. on um, the changes that Bowdoin is doing for inclusivity. Did I say that right? Inclusivity. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> appreciate that. And how can Absolutely. people reach you? Um, what's yeah. the What's the plug? Yeah, so the best way to get a hold of us, get a hold of me, is if you go on the Bowdoin Athletics website, um, just and on the on the staff directory. Uh, but my email is kloney l o n e y at bowden.edu. Uh, I am on Twitter and I'm on uh, Instagram at Coach K A Loney. Um, and uh, you know, uh, I, I'm decent on Twitter. Drop some decent gems every now and again. So. Um, and uh, it's it's but it's it's fun and you know any day I can do what I can I'll do what I can so thank you so much Flo it's been awesome oh, thank you Kevin it was great That's listening fun. a thank you to our sponsors the For Us Buy Us Fund which supports Black Brown Indigenous and people of color living their best life in Maine if you like what you've heard and want to hear it again, or want to check out our archive of past shows, look for us at inthepocket.captivate.fm or search In The Pocket on iTunes or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at In The Pocket and give us a follow so you never miss a show.